refreshing. Well, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, it is infamously the marriage passage. And so if you're not married, what you tend to do is to phase out, because this is going to be for our married couples. And here's the thing, don't. This is really amazing, fantastic what's going on in this passage for all of us to see. It's really quite incredible. Powerful, the new direction and values it gives us about life together on earth. And this is only one of the very few. There's two really main ones in the, in the New Testament on marriage, and this is one of them that we get to tackle today. Here's the thing. So often what we do in life, you and I, is that we think we're accomplishing something, we're focused on it, but it turns out we're not really thinking about it rightly. I'll take a really silly example. It was last night, and we were making fried rice. And so there I was. I was focused on cutting the carrots. They were cool carrots, man. So I was chopping them. Think, well, fried rice, I want them really little, tiny, little, chopping them really fine. And what if the master chef who's making the meal actually came and said, you know what? It's great that you're chopping those carrots so diligently. But I was really after little rounds, thin rounds that we're going to put in a salad. We weren't even going to use that for the fried rice. I'd be like, oh. Here I was, I, I would have cut them differently, I would have done different. I still would have worked hard, but I might not have done exactly what I was thinking was the thing I was supposed to be doing. Much of what we do is like that, I feel. When we come back and we start to get into the depth of what the gospel is, it's not that we don't work hard, it's not that there's not things to do, it's that our whole perspective is a little bit different than what it might have been otherwise. And this idea of marriage is no different when you think you know what you're doing and it may change the game for you you think well if i could just love better if i could just find more respect in my heart well why and and is that what you're after increasing those things how are you doing if that's your goal so i want to expose this to you in this passage it's amazing you've heard it Probably, but even if you haven't, it's quite short. It's not too long, just two paragraphs. I want to read it first. We're calling this looking at marriage and seeing Jesus. And and indeed, there are many people in this room who are married. But all of us can look at people who are married and think, oh, there's a picture there of my Savior. Okay, so here we are. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, we're going to start with. I'm putting it on the screen. Follow along in your Bibles. We'll read this whole passage, two paragraphs here to the end. Wives, it says. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see 
that she respects her husband. Okay, that's the passage. There's lots in there. We can say, okay, we're going to have some things for wives and husbands to do. But you'll get it all wrong if you don't get the deepest part. There's a deep part to this. And too often as we go through it, we've talked about all the stuff up first and we get to the deep part last. So I'm taking the bottom first and showing you the deep part. What's the deep part? Well, here it is. Beholding this mystery. Look what it says. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Other translations say be joined to his wife. The King James say be cleaved to his wife. This one flesh idea, Paul's quoting from Genesis chapter chapter 2, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his whole fast, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Well, one flesh, united. It's super important to start here because otherwise you're going to try and get here. But that's not the Bible, right? Look, Paul says, quoting the first chapters of the Bible, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and, and be one, hold fast to his wife. What is that? Think about it with me. Too often go, yeah, 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 I get it, marriage. Is it sexuality? Intimacy? Physicality? Is it closeness? What, what, what is it? Partnership? Well, Paul tells us back in, in, in Ephesians, right? Paul says this. Paul says, this is a great mystery. Paul says, I don't know. Think about that. Hey, there's this thing that happens in marriage, and I'm telling you, Paul says, it's fantastic and amazing. The two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I have no idea what it actually is. It's so deep. God does something that's so deep. It's hard to understand, but I'm telling you, I'm not talking about, about my slides are not going well. It's okay. You, you get the idea. It says, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so then think about that. Think with me about, really think with me about, you're all here because you come to, to hear and know and you believe in Jesus. So this Jesus that died 2,000 years ago, how are you united to him? I mean, you're united to Jesus, right? That's what the Bible says. This union is the very depth of our existence, the very wonder of what we are. If there's anything you have, it's that you're united to Jesus, and I trust that he paid it all for me. My forgiveness of sin is from him. I'm, 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 I'm one flesh with Jesus. Oh, what is that? I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery that 2,000 years ago somebody died, and I believe that I am connected intimately to him forever. What in the world? Yeah. There's deep wonder in that. God did something. God did something that just simply by trusting in the gift that's been given, I am in Christ. I will never be out of Christ. And there I am. I'm, I, I'm connected to him forever. I'm looking forward to Revelation 19 and 20 when, when the marriage of the Lamb happens and, and then this wondrous thing, there's no more sin and, and I'm in Christ forever and there's a mystery to it. I don't totally understand it, but it's there. That's this. Marriage is about God doing something deep and mysterious and hard to understand. Not superficial. It directly reflects what he's done in uniting us, the church, 
to Jesus, and this is the ground we're standing on, not how well are you doing, what's been done. And honestly, if I was going to say, I don't think Paul means just Christian marriage. He means what marriage is, is this amazing reflection of what Jesus and the church is. That, that's the reality. That's the main piece. This union, this one fleshness with Jesus himself. And so it's finished. It's happened. He's done it. So what does it mean, right? That, that's what we want to know. That's what we want to talk about. You say, okay, I get it. There's this great deep mystery, and it's somehow connected to Jesus and the church, and I don't even understand it, but marriage reflects that. So we start thinking about it being an image on display. An image on display. Because because I want to consider that Paul says this is why husbands love their wives as themselves. Connected to a why a wife might respect her husband. Because of what marriage is, it's this image of this deep mystery done in Christ connecting, connecting us to his church. That's amazing. Okay, so, so when I think of marriage then, and when we think of marriage, we think of it as something totally... This mystery, it's, it's totally invisible, it's hard to understand. And, and then I see this, this real practical image of it. What's that? A husband and a wife. We see lots of them. In fact, we see it all over. What is it imaging? Well, it's imaging that union that we can't see ever. It's amazing. So, so the marriage's purpose of imaging the reality of Jesus in us, then that's an amazing testimony, right? Just by existing. If you exist in a marriage, that's like this amazing picture of Jesus and the church that can't even be understood. For however long that marriage lasts, it should last forever because Jesus will never lose us. But this idea is there's something so amazing just by existing that that's the testimony of your life. More than you working at church, more than you being a good person in other places, more than you trying to image other things. That image, because it's imaging what? The very central core of what Christianity is, us united to Jesus. Wow. And you get to see it all around you. Some of us get to even experience it in its reality. totally connects to exactly why Paul is giving these instructions, right? Wives, submit to your husbands and respect them. Well, why would you do that? Well, you're imaging that the whole church is submitting to, to Jesus. Like my only hope as a member of this church, my only hope is that Jesus Christ shed his blood for me and died for me and he's got me. And so, so I so he's my savior. I so want to submit to him. And so there's a reason for a wife to say, okay, we're picturing that. Look, look, I'm going to do that. I'm going to choose to. Husbands, and then he goes to husband. Lots more verses for the husbands. Why? Because think about it. What Jesus, I mean, what you guys do as a church, what we do as a church, that's kind of cool. But what Jesus did for us, oh my goodness, that's massive. So, so look, says he, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I mean, goodness, that's what it says. Husbands love like Jesus. Jesus loved the church so amazingly and so well, and Jesus died for the church and laid his life down for the church simply and completely to rescue us, to wash us, to cleanse us. And by the way, great passage on sanctification, right? 
my purity, my sanctification is based on Jesus Christ washing me. Not me somehow washing myself or getting better. So we image that incredible truth, husband. Uh, love your wife, right? Because even when she's not worthy, you echo this incredible love that Jesus has for us even when we're not worthy. Because I know, I know something. I know that it worked. I am presented to Jesus in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing simply by the love of Christ for me spilled on you and me, gifted to you and me, taken in and accepted a mystery that he does and continues to love us all the way through. Wow. Image that. I mean, I think these instructions that Paul gives are kind of echoed in the marriage vows we take, right? Have you heard them? I promise to love and cherish you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. It's aspiring, isn't it? Rightly. To this, what it is we're imaging, not this pinnacle of human love, but the mystery of Christ's love for us that is exactly that way. Oh, in every moment and in every way, Jesus is loving me. Sometimes I don't realize it, sometimes I don't see it, but it's there. And even clearer in the next verses, verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Wow. See, and it makes total sense of what I think is, yeah, this whole imaging thing that I'm doing is I'm imaging Jesus' love for the church because I'm one flesh with Jesus and he loved me. So, geez, it's, it's totally nonsensical if I really believe that I'm one flesh and God's done something so mysterious and deep, already done. Well, to not love my wife would be like not loving myself. Everybody loves themselves. In our day and age, you say, well, no, the people's problem is they don't love themselves. No, no, you do. You do. You may not do it very well, but it's there. So this idea of, man, I want myself to be okay. I want everything to go okay for me. Say, so, well, if it's really true that, that husbands and wives, by God's action, have been joined together in a mysterious way, already done, then to not love your own flesh is stupid. And Jesus loves the church. He does. No brainer, says Paul. Jesus doesn't hate his own flesh. He's one with us, so husbands image that. And no thought of the dirty sin that covers us, that Jesus cleansed us and identified us in the midst of sin. He did it. I think of, I think of the scene. Remember the scene in, with John the Baptist where Jesus goes and he's going to get baptized? Well, John did a baptize for the baptism. What he was doing was for the repentance of sin. So here comes Jesus. Did he have sin? No. So he comes to John the Baptist and says, I want to get baptized. And John the Baptist says, no way. I'm not baptizing you. I'm not going to, you, you don't, you're not a sinner. And Jesus says, if you don't baptize me, you'll have no part of me. And he goes and goes down. And when he does that, the heavens broke open. And remember the Holy Spirit, like a dove came down. And God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's not saying, oh, it's so great that Jesus repented of sin. He's saying it's so amazing that he's connecting himself. This is what I want to do, is to connect myself to these sinners, to, to be connected with them, and then he's going to go to the cross for us. And he's always going to, even though sinners, all of us, perf perfect him, and yet there he is in the midst of it, saving us. Wow. So 
So husbands, no matter what, especially when, when wives are sinning and wrong, what an incredible image to love your wives. Jesus did it for you, and this is the testimony of your life. More than, more than forced gospel witnessing or however else we think we're chopping the carrots. The existence of you in marriage, just existing, is incredible. So image it. Think about how that plays out. Think about that being your center. God is using this mystery to put himself on display, and this is the testimony of your life. Wow. So I, I hope you see, the idea isn't to get to a great marriage by great respect and love. That's, that's not the idea. It isn't grow in love to have a real union. It isn't, uh, the concept isn't, this is how you attain a testimony. Make sure you do these things. It's God has done this amazing, deep, mysterious thing. It reflects the deepest truth we have, which is our union with Christ. Play it out. Image that reality. So, so, so that's the theology. And I want to stop here for a minute and get a little real. Because almost always, this is the piece. Say, okay, I get this. This is my marriage. I'm going to respect it. So you, you go to conferences on love and respect. You start working out now and most time in teaching to think through, okay, the idea is now give me some practical tips so that I love better or so that I respect better. And then everyone else can fall asleep while we talk to the marriage couples. And, and it doesn't work in spite of the billions of dollars of books that are out there. And this is why it doesn't work is because that's missing and pastorally, then my heart comes in for you guys. That's the theology, but it's missing the reality of what too often marriage is for you and me. So if what marriage is supposed to be is imaging this, and really the urge is that love and respect is what we attain to, aspire to. So what I, I want to talk about for a minute is, is the reality, which is you don't do it very well. Because if you don't see that, you're going to miss one of the whole big pieces of this passage to me and even what Paul is thinking. Why? Because the whole idea to this is you're imaging something as a person on earth. Well, who cares? Let's go do it anyway. Yeah, my question is, how are you doing? And unless you're... you're, you're not very well with your eyesight. You're going to tell me not as well as I could. I hope you'd say that to me, married people. I hope what you'd say to me is, you know what? I have a failed marriage. You know what? I, I really don't do very well at loving my wife like Jesus loved the church. Oh my goodness, he went to the cross and died for the church while the church spit on him. If my wife like spit on me, I'd say leave. Sorry, dear. She never has. If, 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 and, and respect all the time. Well, you don't understand. I would respect my husband, but you don't understand. He's not at all worthy of any respect. He makes the worst decisions you've ever seen in my entire life. If, if I was going to say the people that come in, and, and I do counseling with people a lot I, as a doctor and as a pastor, the number one thing is it's pointing across and saying, hey, look, love your wife, husbands. And the wife points at the husband and says what? He's not doing it very well. And then the wife's like, and the husband's like, <laughs> respect your husband. She's not doing it at all. And what you do is this. And you use this as a standard to try and accomplish the union. Instead, of, instead the whole picture they're trying to get at is the reality of the union underneath and thinking about how it plays. 
But you got to, if you're, if, unless you're, unless all what you want to do is hear theology and never apply it to your life, you got to actually say to yourself, okay, we're fallen. Romans 7 and 8 really do apply. This idea that you and I come into is marriage is the most intimate thing in our lives for men, most people. And, and so walk through with me. Let me, let me start by doing this then. Let's come back. So, so this idea becomes... Think wedding vows with me. And you say, hey, I promise to love and cherish you for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. And, and then you realize that when things are worse, we, we don't love as well as when things are better. I've known families who one of the people gets sick or has cancer and they just can't handle it and they get divorced. I think that from the very first moment that we say those vows, we break them. So if it is the reality is failure, one of the things that's going on is this. Read this with me. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the mystery, right? That's Paul says. This is not talking about man and wife. It's talking about Christ and the church. This is so deep and so amazing and so mysterious. Read the next verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So... Here, don't miss this. The wonder of this deep, mysterious union that God does is that he exposes the two of you together. I have no idea what your sins are, but I tell you who I know, I know knows you, your spouse. So the person that's going to know, the person that's going to look, and the person going to be able to say exactly your deepest fears and your deepest wrongs and the things you don't do right, not the things you do that you show everybody, but the stuff you never show. That's the stuff that who knows? Your spouse. And yet it says they were both naked. That means seen. And what? Not ashamed. They're okay. And so we have this deep relationship. We have this amazing mystery. And it's imaging what? The union we have with Jesus where he sees all of our stuff. That's the negative stuff. And yet he covers us. The most beautiful thing is that knowing someone's wrong, knowing someone's failure and, and, and realizing, no, 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 what, what, it, what it is is this amazing thing where I know somebody and yet I'm in deep, intimate relationship with them. That's a miracle. If you really knew how bad each other were, and yet you see it all over, all these marriages where two people are falling, yet they're together. Miracle, deep union, even though they're sinners. You're imaging that in the midst of failure. So there's an element there you've got to talk about. It's this. It's realizing that what you're doing is imaging the perfectness of the reality of Jesus and the church. And then here you are as a, as a, a marriage where that intimate relationship that images Jesus and the church is starting to be known, and therefore the fallenness of each other is starting to be known, and the ways that you never match up to that deep image that's coming, the reality that's coming of Christ and the church, then, then it's really about what? Doesn't it have to be about forgiveness? It's got to be about forgiveness. It can't be about changing your spouse so that they become like Jesus. It can't be about changing your spouse so they're more respectful towards it. It's about you saying, you know what? We never match up to the wondrous depth of the image. And so my main relationship to you is about forgiveness. 
Because I can be naked and unashamed. Why? Because I believe the deep image. Jesus Christ on the cross shed his blood for me. I can tell you this is my sin. And at the same time, I don't have to run away because I have been cleansed. How have I been cleansed? The blood of Christ. You've been cleansed. What is it? The blood of Christ. What is it that he's done? Forgive your sins. All of them. And so here we are in this deep relationship where we see each other's sin and yet we stay together. It's a wonder. And it's not just about I'm Jesus and my wife's the church. It's also about we're not that. And I think the Bible knows it. I think, I think Paul knows it as he writes. Why? Because you look at all the marriages in the Old Testament. Find me one that isn't broken. We, okay, you can use Manoah and his wife. But, but honestly, that's a random one. Let's go through big ones. Abraham, Abraham, who gave his wife away to save himself. Go ahead, Pharaoh, take her. Yeah, that worked well. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca, remember them? Isaac and Rebecca, fantastic couple. One of our, our, the patriarchs, right? There he is. But they're choosing, each choosing a favorite kid and then scheming to try and get that kid to where they want to be against each other. That's a great marriage. There's, there's Jacob, Jacob, who doesn't even love the gal he's going to marry and then marries the gal he loves too. And then they fight. Having competing children to try and get the love of the, of the dad. What? Oh, well, you say Moses. Moses was a good guy. Yeah, if you look at Exodus chapter 4, Moses' wife, her name is Zipporah. She says, yeah, Moses, you're a bridegroom of blood. That's an endearment. <laughs> no, it's like these are fallen things. David, great David, he's killing the husband so he can marry the wife. Right? It's all over. This stuff is like, yes, marriage happens, and yes, they're broken. They're not like shining examples that we should all follow, and they're all great and off. No, they're broken people living life together, and yet they're imaging something still. They are. Say, well, it's the New Testament. You know, the New Testament's much better. Yeah, therefore, Paul has to write in 1 Corinthians 5, hey, it's really bad when, you know, the, the son sleeps with the stepmom. What? No, thank you. That's terrible. Ooh. Yeah, why would you even have to? Because people are still fallen. What are we seeing? Well, I, I think one of the things we got to realize is that we, our expectations are about forgiveness, right? That's what we're going after. Because the reality is too many of us think, oh, yeah, I'm getting married. I'm getting a Ferrari. And then I wake up with a Geo Metro. <laughs> What's wrong with a Geo Metro? No, no, that's the thing. No, we think it's going to be this. It's going to be so beautiful. It's going to be awesome. There it is. And then, and then the reality of it is I'm with a fallen sinner and they're not exactly who they even told me they were. And, and they've got all these hangups and they got all these things. And there it is. And boy, you just got to live with it. No, 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 no. You are imaging something beautiful and deep and amazing. It's a car. If that's what it is, right? And if it's what God, and then, and you think, and, and the reality is then I get to be about forgiveness. Because forgiveness actually, actually is what I've received from Jesus. All of us. Okay. Naked and unashamed. And not getting out of sin to become better at this marriage thing. And always wanting to love. Always wanting to respect. But always realizing that I never get there. Right? Paul knows that. He wrote Romans 7. 
It's the wonder that Jesus adores me. And when I, even when I'm like this, even when she's like that, if I don't do that, then, then I don't realize what marriage is because, because it'll come in. And this is where the secular idea and our society's idea of marriage starts to play at us. It's very conditional. It becomes this thing where instead of it being about the deep, wondrous image that we're doing, and it's got forgiveness because I know I'm centered on that deep, wondrous, mysterious union with Christ. It becomes about, are we scratching each other's back enough? I will love you if you take out the trash, and I'll love you if you do the dishes. But if you stop taking out the trash, I'm going to stop doing the dishes. I'm not going to do it anymore. And, and, and then I don't really want to love and adore her when she's cutting me down or disrespecting me. And she doesn't want to respect me when I'm being a fool. But Jesus is never a fool. And so the things that we choose is in spite of each other and in spite of our sin, we're, we're unashamed that we're covered in forgiveness and we speak it out and you give absolution and you start doing those things. And this is the depth of the image. It's about the reality of failure. We can't do anything else. If we do, all we'll start doing is shifting blame. If you start using this as law, if you start using love and respect as are we doing it well enough and we start balancing it, eventually you're going to do something called blame shifting. It's right in the garden. Let me show you. Chapter 3, verse 12. The man said Adam did after they'd eaten the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Blah. Adam said, <laughs> this woman that you gave me, man, she gave me a fruit of the tree and I ate. She did it. I'm, I, it's her problem, really. And the woman would just say right back to him, hey, he's my head. He told me and we did it. Whatever it is, right? You blame shift. You start blaming the other person. You start going and pushing and, and pointing fingers and all of that. I, I tell you, if you want to find it, it's there. If you want to find problems with your spouse, it's there. But the wonder of the existence of the union is the testimony to the world. And the wonder to me is that I look around this room and I see all these images of Jesus in the church simply because you're together with a fallen sinner. It's amazing. It's the closest I'm going to get to seeing it, to, 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 to looking at marriage and seeing Jesus. God's unswerving love for us means marriage, it really is meant to be permanent, right? I mean, it's meant to be this thing where I can't get taken out of the hand of Christ. So no matter how terrible I've been and, and, and no matter how terrible we really are, the wonder that we're together United is amazing. I want to say before we close, because it comes up every time, and if it doesn't, then I, I have to explain it. You do know everybody's a sinner. And you do know that when we're talking about marriage and the wonder of it, like we've talked today, it's an act of the Spirit. We've had this whole thing where it's amazing. It's, it's, just, it's the context of the passage we're in, is that it takes being filled with the Spirit to do these things to submit yourself to someone who doesn't deserve it, to love someone who doesn't deserve it, to really see sin and they don't deserve it. The Spirit does it. It's not a cage that you enter into when you become married. I mean this. So many people come to the church and feel like, well, I got married, so now I'm stuck. And this, my spouse is abusing me or my spouse is doing evil and terrible things to me. And I am, I have the instruction I'm supposed to submit to that person or I'm supposed to love that person and I have to stay in this terrible hard marriage. I'm like, well, wh what do you think church is? What do you think the gospel is? The gospel is the forgiveness of sin. 
So, so even if you get divorced, right, does Jesus forgive that? Yeah. You're not required. It's not somehow a trap that you've gone into if you get married. You're trapped and you have to stay married or else, or else somehow you're not a Christian anymore. And abuse and hor- Boy, if you find in your heart, because every single person I know is a sinner. And sin is real, not fake. It's not, oh, I sinned, I cracked my knuckles. It's, oh, I sinned, I got angry at you. Or, oh, I sinned, I did something wrong to you. Or, oh, these things happen. And you find in your heart from the Holy Spirit forgiveness. That's amazing. Do it. Stay. But if, you, if, you're, if you're at your limit and you no longer can, you're free. You're not, you don't have a chain on. It's just the reality of what God has done to connect you to another sinner. And so we have that mindset and we're there and we live in it, but we're fallen and then something happens outside of us and we can't control it. It's too hard for me. Guess who forgives you? Jesus does. Don't feel like you're trapped. Not from this pulpit. Not from this Bible. To tell you somehow that, that when abuse or when horror happens and you cannot forgive and stay and you cannot live under the whole base we stand on is the forgiveness of Christ for us. That's what it is. Okay, so the wonder, though, had to say that, but in the midst of that, right, it's wonderful and amazing to me that everywhere we look, we get to see this amazing, deep wonder of Christ in the church. And it comes with this desire that I now have to love my wife because I've been loved by Jesus. It comes with the desire a wife might have to respect her husband, not because he's respectable, but because of Christ. And when we start to see it, it's beautiful. How fantastic. So image away. But just make sure you know what you're doing. You're cutting the carrots right. You're representing a truth that's already there, not one you have to make. It's not attaining but reflecting. This amazing upside-down love to the undeserving, respect for the unworthy because of the image of Christ. (laughs) Or united to him forever. Okay. Let's pray.